0: Let's go into our teaching for this morning. We're continuing in our series today on fearless prayer. We started this a few weeks ago, and I've mentioned it before, but I'll just remind you. The goal in this series is that we are trying to seek um, what it means to have a greater prayer life what it means to have a deeper prayer life, what it means to have a prayer life that goes beyond, you know, the cliches and the the niceties that we often have in our prayers, to to go beyond the lack of power that we typically have in our prayers, um, to, to have what we've called fearless prayer. Our goal for Redeemer is to be a church that declares the Lordship of Christ over all of Acadiana, to see God's kingdom growing all over all of Acadiana, and In doing this, we have to be a people that knows God. Now, we ought to know him with our minds, intellectually. But that's not enough. We have to know him in our hearts as well. And crucial to that is prayer. So in our desire to declare the Lordship of Christ and to see people following him, we have to be a praying people. It's crucial. It's essential to what God has called us to and for our reason of existence as a church. If we miss this, we miss everything. And so what I, I did in this series is I went and I chose all the passages in Scripture that have challenged me the most on prayer, the ones that, have, that have, have challenged my faith, that I've often avoided or been kind of afraid of or not sure what to do with. And we've been looking at those passages in this series. We're going to continue doing that today. Today, we're looking at what it means to seek God in prayer. Um, and I'm doing something a little different today. I actually have three passages that we're going to be looking at and pulling from, and they're kind of spread all over the Bible. So uh, I normally say, you know, if you want to turn in your Bibles, instead instead of everybody flipping around, we're going to have the words on the screens there so you'll be able to follow along with me, okay? Because we're going to be reading from Jeremiah, from Matthew, and from 2 Chronicles. So I'm going to read these passages for us to start. So first passage, in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, it says, For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore to you your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. In Matthew chapter 7, in verses 7 through 11, we read, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In Second Chronicles 7, starting in verse 12, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon at night. This is immediately after Solomon completed the temple. And he says to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to prayer Prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. Let's say that you went on a big hiking trip. You go out to... Uh, let's say you go out to Colorado to go hike in the Rocky Mountains or you go out somewhere else to do some some fun hiking. And, you know, you you get there and you're at the base of the mountain range or at the base of the hills that you're going to be climbing and looking around and enjoying. And you get there and then you just kind of walk around at sea level and you never actually go up. Or maybe you you go up just a little bit up the the hill or mountain, but definitely nowhere near the summit and then you, you come back down. If you went on a trip like that and you left, right, that's it. If you went on a hiking trip like that, you probably wouldn't have a great experience and you probably wouldn't be interested in ever going hiking again. You know, it'd be like, uh, let's, let's say you went to a movie theater and you go to sit down and watch a movie and you watch the 20, 30 minutes of trailers that they have before the movie and then right before the main feature is going to start, you walk out. It wouldn't be a great experience of, of the theater, right? Right. Similarly, if we go in prayer, and whenever we go in prayer, if we don't go and in all of our requests and in the time that we spend in prayer, if we go and do not seek God above any other request, and if we do not seek him even in the request for other things that we are bringing you before him, then it is just like going on that hike and never going for the summit. It's like going to the movies and skipping out on the main feature. If all we do is put before him, Lord, you know I need this, and Lord, I need that, and please help me to feel better with this, and so on, but we don't go and seek him. If we don't go and seek him, if we don't go and have an encounter with God in prayer, meet him, know him, grow in intimacy with him on deeper and deeper levels, then we miss out. Because God, whenever it comes to prayer, God is the summit. He's the pinnacle of experience in prayer. He is—he's the reason that we go in prayer. Just like it's the reason you go on the hike. He's the main feature. And so, in this series, as we've been looking at what it means to have boldness in prayer, whenever we go before uh, the throne of God, whenever we've looked at uh, what it means to have faith in prayer, it's crucial that we get this as well. What is the summit? What is the main point? What is the main feature of prayer? And it is seeking God. It doesn't mean that we can't still bring our requests, but it means that even in bringing our request, you know, through the request, we're going to him. We want him more than anything. Whenever we go to him in prayer, it's not just to uh, bring all these needs, but to know that he is our greatest need. And that's what we're looking at today. And what I'm going to be pulling some insights from these various different passages on today is what it means to seek God in prayer. So we're going to look at a couple of things. Um, really two main points for our sections for today. First, we're going to look at the qualities of the seeker. If we're going to be people who seek God in prayer, we're going to look at what are the qualities of, seek, of the person who seeks God in prayer. And then we're going to look at the qualities of the sought, the qualities of God. So the qualities of the seeker and then the qualities of the sought. Let's begin by looking at the qualities of those who seek God. The main point is this, and then I'm going to work through it. Those who seek God are aware of their neediness, humble and repentant, and wholeheartedly desiring God's face. That's our first main point. Let's consider each one of these qualities of the seeker one by one. So first, The seeker is someone who is aware of his or her need. The one who seeks God in prayer is someone who is deeply aware of their need for God. Whenever you go to another place in the Bible, you go forward into the New Testament. Whenever you read the Gospels, there's a story there in the Gospels of this woman who had a disease that had been afflicting her for years. It says that she she had been having this bleeding, and she had this for uh, well over a decade. She had gone to see all these doctors. And she had tried different medicines, and nothing would work for her. Have you ever had a disease afflict you for over a decade? You know, if I have something bother me for over a week, I feel like my life is ending. I can't imagine, uh, you know, wrestling with this, seeing different doctors and so on for over a decade. Maybe some of you guys do know what that pain is like. Or maybe it's not an actual disease of the body, but you know what it's like to suffer with an affliction and a need for a while, a protracted period. And the longer that, go- that it goes on, this wrestling or this time of trial that you're going through, this disease that you are fighting against, the more and more aware you become of just how much you want it to go away, how much you need healing, or how much you need deliverance. So, you know, we can imagine what it would have been like for that woman. So you have this woman who is suffering And she hears that Jesus is coming through town. And there are great crowds going around Jesus. She hears that he's coming through and she has heard stories that he heals those who are afflicted. That he heals those who have need. And she has just a shred of faith. She thinks to herself, you know what, I don't even have to go and meet him, but maybe if I can even just go and just get a piece of him. you know. She says, if I could just go and touch the edge of his robe, maybe he is so powerful that even that will be enough. And on the shred of faith that she had, and in awareness of how deep her need was, and, 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 and uh, her need for healing, she fights and pushes through the crowds, even in her, her uh, weak state. She pushes her way through, and she goes just to get at the edge, near Jesus. Why? Because she knew she needed him so badly. Are we so aware of our need for God that even on shreds of faith, we will push through and we will seek and we will work through and even in our weakness, we will endeavor to get near him. We will endeavor to go before him because we know that we need him so badly. Those who seek God are people who are aware of their needs. The seeker is maybe someone who who is aware that he's not right with God. And so he goes and seeks reconciliation. Maybe you realize that you are in sin. Maybe you are someone and you realize that you don't know God at all and that you stand underneath his judgment and you become aware that you are in need of forgiveness. You're in need of reconciliation. You are in need of God's grace. Or maybe you are a Christian. You're one of God's children, but you become aware that you are a wayward child and that it is time for you to return home. Those who seek God are people who are aware of their need. Sometimes maybe you are aware of this gaping hole in your soul that you know needs filling. Sometimes you are aware of the brokenness that is in your heart that needs healing. Sometimes you are aware of guilt and shame that needs forgiveness. Whatever your need is, go to the Lord with it. Go to the Lord with it. Because those who seek God are people who are aware of their needs. How many times have you found that your prayer life has become stale? It has become inconsistent. It has become maybe even nearly non-existent. Or you go to the the Lord in prayer, but you're not really seeking God. There's not earnest desire there. It's just kind of routine. It's just checking off the box. It's just trying to finish off your devotion time to go on with your day. Do you know why it's become so stale? Do you know why it's become so inconsistent? Because you have lost awareness of your need for the Lord. And you cannot just tell yourself, Okay, well, i got to do better. i got to pray better, and i got to be more consistent now, and I'm, I'm going to finish that Bible reading plan this time. Until you are reacquainted with the awareness of how much you need the Lord, of how much you need to encounter him every single day, of how much you need his mercy every single day, of how much you need his, his loving kindness, to know that his steadfast love is surrounding you and that you are enveloped in it in every situation and in every moment. Until you become aware once again of how much you need God, your prayers will remain stale. Those who seek God are aware of their need. The second thing or sub-point from our main point the seeker is someone who approaches in humility and, re- and repentance. In 2 Chronicles 7 and 7.14, it made it clear that those who seek the Lord are people who do not do so in pride. They don't do so like the Pharisee that Jesus talked about in his parable of the Pharisee and the sinner, right? The Pharisee stood before God and uh, very full of himself And in arrogance boasted before the Lord in prayer of, oh, how good he is. And, oh, you know, of all the ways that he has followed the law and of how upstanding he is, you know, and how he's he's so much better than even that sinner over there, you know, and in his pride and in his arrogance, he assumes that, you know, God gives him a stage in his presence, not because God is merciful, but because he's so good. We cannot go to God in prayer like the Pharisee, rather like the sinner, who wouldn't even dare lift his face up before the heavens and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In seven, Second Chronicles 7.14, God says that his people must humble themselves before coming to him. Have you ever gone to God with pride in your heart? How often do we operate on a daily basis not out of humility found by spending time in God's presence, but operating on pride, on selfishness, and on arrogance. The seeker is someone who approaches God in humility and in repentance. God says in 714 that whenever his people seek him, they must do so by humbling themselves and then in prayer seeking his face and turning from their evil ways, it says. Now, what does it mean to go and seek God in repentance? What does repentance mean? You know, it's good that we throw around certain words a lot in church, and it's good that we take a time every now and then to stop and define those words so we remember what they mean. What is repentance? Maybe some of us can't define it. Second Chronicles 7.14 gives us one of the clearest, simplest definitions of what repentance means in all of Scripture. It says to us very clearly that God says, turn from their evil ways. We see a similar definition in, uh, in the book of Acts whenever uh, uh, Peter is preaching before uh, the Sanhedrin and he says that the Lord calls us to turn away. Repentance simply means that. It means a turning away from our sin. It means that in, in my sin, in my pride, in my arrogance, I have been following after my idols or I have been following after my desires and I have been indulging in uh, those things that break the heart of God and break the commandments of God. I have been walking in that way. Repentance means that I am turning away from those things. You can think of repentance and seeking God in repentance as a double turning. It is turning away from our evil ways, as it says in Second 7, Chronicles 7.14, turning away from our evil ways and turning to seek his gracious face. Turning from their evil ways. It's important that we remember this. Repentance is not primarily an act to be performed, but a turning in the heart and soul away from sin and towards God. Not just with our bodies, but even in our hearts, we can be oriented towards something, we can be directed towards something. That can be an idol or can be the true God, our Father. Repentance is something that we do in our heart and soul, turning our direction and our orientation away from self, away from the idols that we follow, and toward God. This is what he describes in Second Chronicles 7.14. We cannot seek him by still being directed towards sin. We cannot seek him if we are still holding on to idols, if we are still seeking after selfish and arrogant ways. The only way that we can seek him is by humbling ourselves and turning away from those things and then seek him. Now, though it is something that is primarily happening in our heart, that doesn't mean that there won't be outward changes. In fact, after that turning in the heart, there will often be great changes. And you know what? It'll be comprehensive changes. Repentance, a turning away in the heart that leads to an outward change, doesn't mean just one change in our life. Like, you know, I was doing this, let's just call it sin A. I was doing sin A, and now I'm just simply no longer doing sin A. Because what God says here is something more comprehensive. He says turning away from their evil ways. Notice he doesn't say they stop, uh, you know, breaking this commandment or breaking that commandment. What he speaks of is something far more comprehensive, far more general. He says, turning away from their evil ways. Because sin and idols can operate in our lives and and, and bring about activities that we do in, in, in far more comprehensive ways than just committing an individual sin. There are the circumstances that we walk ourselves into to get involved in pursuing that idol or breaking that commandment, committing that sin. There are the habits of life that we give ourselves into that start to turn us away from God's face and towards sin, right? We know that it can work this way. Maybe there are, there are social circles that we are involved in that we know draw us more towards sin than towards God. And we might say, well, you know, it's not necessarily a sin to be in this social circle or to be in this situation. But friend, if you recognize that being in this situation, that being in this social circle or whatever way it might be in your life is a way that leads to evil and that is drawing you away from God and not towards seeking him, this is what the Lord calls us to repent of. He says, turn from evil ways. Go and read Psalm uh, chapter one later to see how it talks about how sin is something that is more, once again, than just committing the individual act, but it is, but it is much more comprehensive. The 3rd subpoint: So the seeker is aware of their need. They approach God in humility and repentance. Third, the seeker wholeheartedly desires God's face. face. Wholeheartedly desires God's face. In Jeremiah 29, in this famous and beautiful passage, it says in verse 13, God says to his people who are experiencing exile in this point, in this context, he says, you will seek me and find me. That's good news, that we can find God when we seek him, right? But he tells us how. There's a requirement. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It says here... That the seeker who finds God versus those who do not. The seeker who finds God is the one who seeks with all his heart. That's what God says. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Wholehearted seeking is what leads to then finding God. What does that mean? What does wholeheartedness mean? It means seeking God with an undivided mind. It means that when we go before the Lord in prayer, we don't go before him because we're really just looking for something else. I'll confess I've prayed like that. I've prayed like that before. I'm motivated and I'm I'm seeking prayer and I'm going and I'm laying down supplications and requests before him. But not really for him, but for what I can get from him. I 'll confess i 've gone before God in prayer with a divided mind, treating Him like a great cosmic vending machine, where if I just drop some coins of prayer in then I 'll get out when I'm the, the treats that I 'm wanting from him, and not desiring him. wholeheartedly seeking God means seeking Him with an undivided mind. He is our singular aim, and even in the other things that we bring before Him, whether it be Uh, you know, something that you're looking, an an opening of a door maybe in your career that you're looking for from him. Or maybe it is a resolve in some relationships that you're looking for. Or maybe it is relief from a a, a situation of, of burden, whether it's, you know, financial or otherwise. It means that we can still bring those things before him. But even through those things, we want him. And so I go before God and I pray, you know, Lord, Bring me relief in this, right? Or, or bring about resolve in this situation. But my desire is that I want whatever draws me closer to you, right? Lord, open this door. But whether it opens or not, I want whatever brings me closer to you. So if that means closer to you is through that open door, Lord, open it in your power. If it means that would draw me away from you, then keep it closed, that's the kind of mind that brings even our request before the Lord, but still members that he's the summit of the mountain, that we desire above all. I desire neither riches nor poverty. I desire neither health nor sickness. I desire neither fame nor obscurity, only that which brings me closer to God. And so whatever one of those it might be, Lord, let it be. That's what it means to see God with an undivided mind. He is your singular aim. Wholeheartedness means that. It also means that there is an awakened energy. You know, in a sense, I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. I almost debated do I even really need to explain what wholeheartedness means? (laughs) Because we all we all know what it means, right? You know when your heart is really in something. You know when you're really desiring something or when you're kind of not giving it your all. We know that in work, whenever you're not really giving your best, you're just punching the clock. We know that in our relationships, whenever we're not really investing in the best there, we're just letting them coast. And we know that with God as well. We know what it means to come to church half-heartedly. And to not come with an expectation of meeting God. And to not come with our hearts open to one another. To greet one another. And to take joy and fellowship with one another. But to be closed off. We know what it means to come and to just kind of be there in worship. But not lifting our voices and our hearts with it. To not expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the preaching of the word, you know, we know what it means. Seeking God wholeheartedly means that there is an awakened energy that moves us from having that half-heartedness to a wholeheartedness. Where we go to church with our hearts open to God and to one another. Where we go expecting that we will encounter God through the preaching of the word the singing of the word, meditation on the word, prayer together. We go ready to see him work and move in our hearts and in the lives of others, excited to hear testimonies of how he is is working. There's been days where even as a preacher I've come half-heartedly. But those who will seek and find God must search for him wholeheartedly. Why is it necessary, though? Like I said, God says, you will seek me and find me when? So those who seek God are those who do it wholeheartedly. Why is wholeheartedness necessary, though? It all goes back to the start. Because whenever you are aware of your need, whenever you are acutely aware of your need for him, then you will seek him wholeheartedly. It will drive you to. You will desire nothing else because you know that your need for an encounter with him, that you know that your need for reconciliation with him, you know that your need for mercy from him, for healing from him, is so great that it will inspire wholehearted desire in you. Let me give you, before we move on, three practical applications from this first point in those three subpoints. So three practical applications, they're very simple. The first one. Practical applications for seekers. How do we seek God? Go and open your Bible. You know, we often overcomplicate these things. And we, we, we often, we hear these kind of ideas preached and talked about um, or, or discussed. And we start to, our head kind of starts to swim. And we're like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. You know, seeking God. Oh, that sounds sounds so, you know, strange. And like, I don't know how to do it. Like, where is he? You know, <laughs> And we forget how simple it is. He has opened himself to us by revealing himself to us in his word. How do we seek God? First step, go and open your Bible. There he is to be found. Go and open your Bible. Those who are seeking God, wholeheartedly aware of their need, are people who are digging in the word and are, are not content to stop until they find what they are looking for and what they desire, which is God. And then to find him deeper and deeper and deeper and to know him more. So go and open your Bible. A second practical step. Go and hear the word preached and sang. Friends, this is why it is so necessary that we are committed to covenantal community. While we are committed to being with one another in worship. Being with one another in the preaching of the word. Why? It's not just because like, it's a good habit to have. But it is because we must be a people who are seeking God. And one of the primary ways that we, that we do that is by joining together in corporate worship. You know, over here at Redeemer, we don't just choose our songs based off of which ones sound the nicest and the prettiest. Or which ones are the most popular on the radio right now. But we choose our songs based on which ones open our minds and hearts to God's truth. Which ones reflect the uh, biblical truths. Which ones are, 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 in other words, singing God's word to one another? This is why we join together in corporate worship to sing. Sing the truth together and to hear the word preached. The third practical step. Go and find godly company. Go and find those who, in relationships with these people, it inspires you to seek God. It inspires you to want God more. It inspires you to turn from all those wicked ways and to be more invested with with these people and these relationships that are helping me get closer to God versus these others. Like I said, simple, practical, but sometimes you know that's exactly what we need. So we tend to overcomplicate it. Open your Bible. Go and hear the word preached and sang, and find godly company and invest into it. Let's look at the qualities of the salt the one we are seeking after, who is God. The main point is this. God is welcoming to the seeker and ready to open the door to heaven, forgive his sin, and answer his requests. I said that the one who seeks God is someone who becomes very aware of his need. And often... Sometimes the awareness of a need that brings us to prayer is, like I said, something that that is quite practical or something that's maybe, as we could say, temporal. You know, it's a financial need or a sickness that needs to be healed or or something like that. But there are also those needs that are spiritual. There's those needs that we know my heart has grown cold, we know my soul has become dry towards God. Or we know, I I have become a wayward child and I have been following after sin and I have been living in prideful arrogance rather than humility towards him and seeking him. Oftentimes, the increasing awareness of our need is our recognizing of just how unworthy we are. And this is even true for Christians. I'm not just speaking about those who don't know God yet. There, There may be some of you here today who who have not followed, uh, followed Christ as your Savior yet. But even for Christians, oftentimes, and I, I said this a few weeks ago, what happens in the Christian life is as you grow and you walk and you become sanctified, you, know, you become far more aware of how evil you are than you ever were whenever you started following Christ. Back then, you had just kind of an idea. But then as you start walking with God and as you start learning more about him and as you start learning more about, you learning more about your own heart, and you repent from sin, and then you find more sin. And you repent from that sin, and you find more sin. And so on and so on. You you look in your heart and soul, and you see this root of idolatry that has a hold. And so you, you start to dig and dig and dig and pull it up. But as you dig, you find that the root goes deeper still. That pride that you're trying to remove, the more that you dig and pull it out, you find the root goes deeper still. For Christians, we become over time, far, far more aware of our unworthiness, of our undeservingness, of our wickedness than we ever were before. And what this can sometimes do to us is it can make us become dry. It can make us become cold. It can make us start to worry, you know, as I found that root goes deeper still, or as I've fallen into that sin again, or as I recognize that I am still have loyalty to this idol, it fills me with shame. And I've been walking with God for a while, and so I know just how unworthy that makes me, how ungrateful that makes me. We often feel so unworthy, so dirty, so hopeless, and so ashamed that we are afraid of seeking God. We, we say to ourselves, how could I? You know, how could I go to him once again, asking for forgiveness for that sin again? You know, how, how could I go before him whenever I willfully, uh, you know, despised his patience and love towards me? How could I? We think to ourselves, it's a fool's errand. So how will we see God when we become so aware of our neediness, we become so aware of our sin and unworthiness and of our dirtiness? There's only one way that you will be able to. And it's by looking at who he is. The only way that you will be able to overcome that shame. The only way that you will be able to break through that wall of guilt. And that feeling of unworthiness. And that, and that feeling of it, it, it would be foolish of me to go before the Lord for forgiveness again. The only way that you will be able to do those things. Is not, of course, like I said before, in any arrogant state thinking, well, maybe I still have some ground to stand upon. Yeah, or I still have a leg to stand upon before God. It's not going to come through that, and it's not even going to be able to come through any uh, encouragement from someone else, but it will only primarily come by looking at who he is and by recognizing how great he is in grace, how rich he is in mercy, how unbreakable his love is towards you and I, unworthy dirty, wicked sinners. And how our unworthiness and our dirtiness, how the, the roots of idolatry that go so deep and have such a strong hold in our soul do not break his love for us. And that he still says to us, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask, seek, knock. He is a God who is so rich and who is so ready to receive even you and I that he still says, ask, seek, knock. He says, come before me. He says, seek me. I want to be found. I'm ready. I am here. Knock, I'm ready to open the door to you. Yes, even you. Yes, even now. Yes, even again. Ask and seek and knock. He invites you to. And friend, the only way that you'll be able to overcome that shame and that guilt and, that, and, and, and the feelings of unworthiness that hold you back and the doubt that starts to come into your heart is to listen to him who says to you, seek and find. Ask and receive. Knock and I'm ready to open the door. I'm ready. I'm here. You will only be able to seek the Lord wholeheartedly, even in your pitiful state, when you recognize that it is he who sought you first. It is he who is seeking you now in his love, who desires for you to find him. And when you see he's already pursuing me, he's already ready to receive me, then it will give you hope. It'll inspire you with that joy that you had when you first became a Christian to recognize God can accept me, and yes, even for you weary Christian, you need to remember too, God can accept me and how wonderful that is. Look at who he is. Look at what Jesus says about him. He, once again, he says, ask, seek, and knock. And he says this, he, he says, who among you, if his son asks for bread, he'll give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a snake. He says, if you then who are evil I love how he just slips that little backhand in there while he's teaching them. He's like, if you then who are, you know, uh, moron, wicked guys, and all the disciples are just like, yeah, okay, checks out. You know, he just kind of throws that in there. Like he said, if if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will will your Father in heaven? Think of all the words that Jesus could use to describe who God is to us a king, a judge, right? Especially to a people like us, rebellious sinners, idolaters, arrogant, right? Defying God, breaking his laws. Think of all the words that Jesus could describe for who that God is to a people like us. A judge and executioner, right? Right? But what does he choose? He says, he is a father who desires to show you how good he is. You know, children have no shame in seeking their parents' attention. Those of you guys with kids, you know this. They have no shame in seeking attention or seeking what they need from their parents. They don't care if you worked all day. They don't care if you worked all day, you sacrificed, you labored, you fed them, took care of them, and now you're finally sitting down to eat your cold meal. They'll still, in the middle of that meal, come up and ask you for what they want. They don't care, right? You know, like this past week, I, uh, while, while Layla was at her D group, I was at home with the kids, and uh, and I had missed some workouts that, that week. And so I was like, I just got to get a workout in. So I got our rower out, and I was doing some rowing. And I'm in the middle, and I'm doing some intervals, and I'm in the middle of this just hard all out interval when I'm breathing and I'm sweating heavy. In the middle of this, my, both the kids come running up to me and uh, trying to play and get me to see this and that and talking to me while I'm doing this rowing. And, and I'm like, can you not see what I'm doing right now? You know, but they didn't care, right? They didn't care because they know you're our dad and whenever we go to you for your attention, we expect to get it. And God, who is our father, says to you, seek it, ask for it, knock. Whenever you question and doubt if you can actually go to him again, remember, he is your father. And he is a good father who is ready to show you his love, who invites you to get his attention shamelessly. And whenever we meet God the Father, through Christ, going to him in, in Jesus Christ, our Savior, repenting from our sin, experiencing his grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation, what happens we, is we receive his name, as it says in Second Chronicles 7, where he says, if my people who are called by my name, my people who have my name, because he puts his name on us, we are adopted as his children, so that we might always have the privilege of going to him, and as Paul says in in the book of Romans, calling him Abba, Father, Dad. And what God says, his posture towards his children, even his children who at times become become wayward and sinful and ungrateful, God says that his posture will always be this, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive. He says, even when they turn away. That is God's attention and posture towards you. He is ready for you to seek his face in prayer. So let us do that. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have often had times where our prayers are cold and stale. Where we don't come before you with an awareness of our need. Or Lord, we come before you Treating you as just the means to get what we actually want. But we don't come before you recognizing that you are the greatest of all needs that we have. That an encounter with you in and in a growing closer to you and in increasing in our knowledge of you matters more than anything else. Lord, we confess these things. We ask that you would help us this morning to obey your word in humbling ourselves repenting from our sin and seeking your face. Lord, and in this work of humbling and repenting, having the confidence that you are ready to be found because you have sought us. You are ready to answer those who ask, to give to those who who seek and to open the door to those who knock because you are good. So Lord, in In the confidence that we have, knowing that we are your children, Lord, help us to not be held back by the clouds of guilt and shame, but that you would break through them with the light of your grace so that we might seek your face. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.